Hi, I'm Dan Krinas, host of the Leader of Learning podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hey guys, this is Greg Goins. I want to take just a few minutes of your time to thank you for listening to the Reimagined Schools podcast. Your support for this podcast means the world to me as I have the opportunity to talk to some of the top educators, innovators, and change agents in the field of education. And the mission remains clear, folks. We want to create better schools for kids. But now I want to come to you directly as loyal listeners of the podcast and ask for your help as we hopefully take Reimagined Schools from a podcast that comes out each week to a movement that will be regular conversation around your school. So how are we going to do that? Well, it's going to come from you, and it's going to come from the ground up as you are in your schools and you are there ready to do the work to create better schools for kids. So this week I'm going to ask you to do a little favor for me. I want you to share this podcast with your school superintendent, your principals, and teachers throughout your school district. Help us spread the message by sharing links on social media or by telling colleagues about your favorite guests and ideas. For those not on social media, maybe you can send an email with the podcast links from the Reimagined Schools podcast or from one of our 11 listening platforms that you can find where podcasts are available. Why not even make a QR code to put up in your teacher's lounge with a link directly to podcast episodes for those that are not connected educators? Better yet, Maybe it's time to form your own podcast study group. Just like a book study, a lot of districts now are forming podcast study groups, and they're using the Reimagined Schools podcast to spark those conversations. And who knows? I just might pop into a Zoom meeting with your podcast study group. All you have to do is DM me or send me your information at drgreggoins at gmail.com. So it's time to think differently, and it's time to make a difference. Please help me this week spread the word Let's reimagine schools together. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Reimagine Schools podcast, a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. I'm very excited about this episode as I finally had a chance to talk with one of the leading voices in education as George Kuros joins me for this very special episode. George is a leading educator in the area of innovative leadership, teaching, and learning who has worked at all grade levels K-12 through as a teacher, technology facilitator, and as a school and district administrator. As you know, he's the author of the best-selling book, the Innovator's Mindset, Empower Learning, Unleash Talent, and Lead a Culture of Creativity. He also has a new book out. The name of the book is Innovate Inside the Box, Empowering Learners Through UDL and the Innovator's Mindset with Katie Novak, who is an expert on UDL, which is Universal Design for Learning. George, as you know, is one of the nation's most sought-after speakers in K-12 education. He also has a fantastic blog that you can check out. The name of the blog is The Principle of Change, and you can find that at his website at georgecurros.ca. You can also follow George on Twitter at gcurros. 
You also want to check out the website for the new book at InnovateInsideTheBox.com where you'll find great resources that can be shared throughout your school and school district. It was truly an honor to spend some time with George, and I hope you enjoy this conversation on the Reimagined Schools podcast as we welcome in Mr. George Kuros. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Reimagined Schools podcast. Very excited to have a very special guest today. He's a best-selling author and one of the world's leading speakers in P12 education. We have George Kuros with us. How are you, sir? Thanks for having me, Greg. Pretty pumped to be here. Well, I'm so glad we we're finally able to connect. I've been a big fan for a long time. I read your blog. I follow you on social media. And uh, you're a busy guy out speaking, delivering the message. So what kind of year have you had? Uh, it's, been, it's been great. Uh, connected with lots of schools and um, lots of educators doing amazing things. So I'm always appreciative of the job that I have because I, I learn a ton, even though I'm there to speak and lead workshops, I, I learn a ton from people and it just kind of helps me grow through the process. But um, we obviously have a new book out uh, that I wrote with Katie Novak uh, called Innovate Inside the Box and it's been very well received and Lots of stuff going on with that, so it's it's been busy and uh, lots of uh, lots of work. But I've been spending a lot of time focusing on being home and um, you know my family. So I'm really focusing on my own balance. So I think that's that's pretty important to me right now. You know, you had so much success with your first book, The Innovator's Mindset, which is a great read. I highly recommend it for anyone out there listening. Uh, Ask do I this book, the new one you have out with Katie Novak. But, you know, by your own admission, you weren't really looking to jump into another big book project. No. So what, what was it about this one that really pulled you in? Uh, well, just kind of serendipity. Um, uh, just kind of, you know, like uh, the, the first book, the, the whole premise was, you know, how we continue to learn and grow and, you know, develop ideas. And so even though I finished the book and, you know, people were reading it, I still kept blogging about the ideas from the book and expanding on them and really never saw a second book, um, you know, in, in the future and then crossed upon Katie Novak and um, she actually read it after our conversation. And she said that basically everything that I'm talking about connects perfectly with universal design for learning. And so she kind of um, put, put some little pressure on me to think about writing a, a book with her and I actually kind of declined at first and just kind of just kind of putting ideas together just kind of came to me and and then we worked on it and basically this wasn't even an idea in March of 2019 and it was then it was released by middle of August so kind of quick turnaround on how that all came together. You know, I love the title of the book, To Innovate Inside the Box. I have so many people that I have a chance to talk with that have the next great idea for education, and we're always talking about thinking outside the box. But mm-hmm. the, way, the way you and Katie approach it is you already have all the resources that you're going to need right there in your building inside your school. Thus, it's inside your own box. So talk about that a little bit. Well, that's, that's something – it's a concept I've been talking about for years, and I think it's, it's really important because – no matter what, um, we're always going to have constraints in education. And, and, you know, obviously um, some places are, have seemingly have more constraints uh, than others. And what I found is that some of the places that, you know, on the outside actually have what we would 
see as maybe more constraints, maybe not as high a budget, you know, um, you know, some, you know, maybe ties with curriculum that they have issues with. They're, they're seeming to do really, really great things while I've seen other places that, you know, basically have everything that, you know, a school could dream of and are doing kind of, I don't want to say old school, but practices that maybe aren't really helping all kids. And so something I really focus on is how important our mindset is and, and, and really understanding that having constraints all the time in education is part of the reason why innovation is so crucial. It's part of the reason we need to think differently about how we do things because Katie Novak said this to me and it's something that's really resonated. Uh, she didn't say this in the book actually, which I, I wish she would have, but it was a conversation we actually had after. And she said, you know, the grade three students that are in your classrooms this year, this is their only chance at grade three. This is it. So we need to do everything we can to ensure that they have the best experience um, possible. And so I think that while educators continuously fight to ensure that the box becomes significantly better for every single kid, we also also have to remember how important it is to realize that we have a ton of power in making incredible things happen, you know, with the students we work closest with every single day. So this is kind of the whole premise of it. The idea of waiting for someone else to come fix things is never going to happen. So I think we, we have to take it um, on, our, on ourselves to really think about how we think differently about the work that we do. And one of the things you you really taught all of us in the first book was moving from this fixed mindset to a growth mindset to ultimately an innovative mindset. How long has this been something that's resonated in your mind in terms of making those shifts to where you are today? I think it really started with when I uh, became an administrator is just kind of looking at, you know, again, talking about some of the constraints that we faced and, you know, where the Carol Dweck's work is so crucial and it's what the innovator's mindset is, is based on. But for me, that is, you know, that basically I could go and become a principal and learn from other people and I could grow through the process. But for me, it's not as simple as learning from others. It's actually how do I take that learning and create something better from that process? And so I think this is something that we really wanted to adopt. Um, there's a, a Thomas Friedman quote, he says, Basically, the world doesn't care what you know. The world only cares what you can do with what you know, and it doesn't care how you learned it. And so it's something that I've really embraced, and I look at my own learning and, you know, even, even simple things like blogging and using social media, you know, the, the way Twitter, if, if you even look back at how Twitter first started, um, it was basically what people loved about Facebook, the status updates, right? And that's all it was meant to be. It was like a short status update. And now people are using it in a way that Twitter didn't even envision. Um, and I think that a lot of times we get these new ideas, these new opportunities that are meant to be used one way, but then we totally reshape them and create something so much better uh, than, than what we're actually doing. Like my, my blog was, you know, the blog platform I have um, is meant to be just for, you know, writing and things like that, but I've shifted it to become a portfolio and how I share and connect my work, how I actually, you know, make a library of my learning over time. And that's why, you know, we can come up with the, a book idea in March and come out in August because I actually had four or five years of writing since the innovator's mindset that I had access to. And so I think that's something we have to really embrace is that we don't want our kids walking out of school just knowing content. We want kids to walk out understand no content and then actually create something much better than we could even ever imagine in, 
in our own teaching and learning. You know, I consider myself somewhat well-versed on best practices in teaching and learning. And mm -hmm. a lot of that is from doing uh, interviews like this and, and having the podcast. But I must confess, this idea of universal design for learning, the UDL, is still relatively new to me. And mm -hmm. I know it's something that's been around for a while. But how did that play a pivotal role in wanting to do this second book? Well, it's, um, I think for, for me, Katie Novak really... Um, I like it's something actually I was somewhat familiar with, but not, not, and, and never going to have the understanding that Katie Novak, she's considered one of the experts in the world on the topic. Um, but the, the whole idea about universal design for learning is actually how do we remove barriers to ensure that every kid has an opportunity to be successful. And I think what's really important when we say successful, it's not, necessarily do well at school because I think that's when we talk about student success we we talk about it solely in the means of academics and when we talk about success it's actually talking about success in a way that's meaningful to the kid and actually really having conversations about how they actually you know define and look at what success means now it's not that we're ignoring academics or that's not you know important part of education but we just want it we want education to be a lot more and even even you know, even though we wrote the book, Katie really, um, you know, Katie really dives into the concept of, the, of UDL and I talk about innovators mindset and we mesh the two, um, you know, it's something I'm still obviously developing and learning about because to be honest, was, I'm learning still about the innovators mindset and that's kind of the whole premise is that we continue to grow and learn. And I was asking Katie actually just the other day, I said, so, you know, when we talk about UDL, it's often removing barriers. And so are we creating um, like a, basically a system of schools where teachers remove every single barrier for every single kid and then those kids actually leave our schools and then they expect people to remove those barriers for them. And she's like, no, 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 actually, like of course teachers remove some of the barriers for the kids, but we really empower the kids to actually understand and identify how they remove some of the barriers for themselves. So look, for example, you know, um, this is a book that we're supposed to read in class, but you know, I'm not a strong, um, maybe not a strong reader. So I might use some uh, way to like, you know, have it through audio. I might, you know, um, use dictation for, um, you know, creating and writing because maybe my, you know, maybe um, I'm asked to write this in English, but English is not my, my, my first language. So I might actually feel more comfortable starting at the point where I'm actually dictating and, and having, you know, having a transcribed. But really what's important through that process is we actually teach our students actually how they remove barriers for themselves so they can feel successful or so they can, you know, achieve success. Because I think that's, to me, that's, you know, that's even a misconception I had. It's not just myself, but um, other people as well is because a lot of times teachers are asked to remove every single thing that we can for kids. And I don't, I don't believe that's realistic. I believe we do as best a job as possible, but really empowering kids to figure out their own way and remove barriers themselves, I think is, is to me is one of the most important elements of that. Well, and the, the book is such a joy to read because there are so many wonderful stories and anecdotes uh, from all the times you've been out to visit schools and, and visit with folks, but it's also set up in a way where it's a brilliant design uh, meshing the, the, uh, U, um, uh, the UDL and the innovator mindset. But the first part of it is the core of teaching and learning. 
Mm-hmm. And, and, and you get right to the core pretty quick when you say it's really all about relationships. Yeah, and I, I think the, so the way that we set up the book is basically there's actually a, an image that is the summary of basically every chapter. And um, it starts with the core of innovative teaching and learning. And at the, in the middle, we talk about relationships and how crucial that is to the work that we actually do. And the reason, um, like a lot of people, when they talk about the notion of relationships, like it, you'll hear this often, and, and I actually don't disagree. They'll say, you know, you don't need a, re- a relationship to actually learn. And I, I will actually agree with that. Um, I've learned from people I don't like. I'm sure a lot of people have. I've learned from bad experiences. You know, I've, I've learned from teachers that were not my favorite. All I know is you will actually learn a lot more if there is a relationship there, that if you feel comfortable taking risks, trying different things. And so the reason why the, the relationships is in the center of the work um, that we do is because all the things on the outside will actually become much better, become much, you know, we can go deeper with our understanding and, and creativity in the work that we're actually doing when the relationship is there. And it's, you know, like anyone listening to this, you know, a lot of, edu- a lot of educators, um, they, they believe this and they, from their own experience, may be working sometimes in schools where they don't have a good relationship with their administrative team where, you know, there's a lot of conflict. They actually understand how important that relationship is because they have actually lost um, you know, there's some negative consequences when they don't actually have that. Now, like, again, it's not about being friends with your students. I think that's the misperception a lot of times when we talk about the idea of relationships is that, you know, respect and support and, you know, and, and push. And one of the things that I really talk about is that part of the reason why the relationship is so important is because it is crucial that we challenge and push our learners. And I'm not just talking the students, but the adults as well, when I say the term learners. Because if I don't trust you, if I don't have a good relationship with you, and you push me, I I don't know what your intentions are, and maybe that pushes me away. But if I know that you, you have my back, that you're in it, you know, to support me and to help me grow, then I'm more likely to, you know, take some risks, try some different things. And so I think that's why that's so crucial. And, and I outright say that the other elements are important, but the relationships element is the most important aspect of all of these things. It's not, it's, and I think that's for me, it's not an, it's not an equal part. It is the most important aspect. And I love it when you say we, we're teaching kids, not content. Mm-hmm. And some, I go back to when I was a school superintendent, you know, you get ready to begin the school year and teachers would come in my office talking about what they needed to decorate their room. It's right. my room. And I, I would always try to encourage them to have a shared ownership with the kids. This, you know, really it's their room. If nothing else, make it our room, but let kids mm-hmm. have some choice in the design, uh, what pictures are up on the wall and build relationships that way. Why, why is that so important in finding that balance uh, in this process? Yeah, and that's one of the concepts I wrote about, the, the idea that you know, teachers will say, oh, this is our room, this is our room, but they'll come in two weeks early, and then <laughs> they'll decorate it exactly the way they want with no feedback, without ever meeting their kids. And so I, I do encourage, and I, if you think about you know, this process of actually giving ownership over the design, you know, what's on the walls, um, like think about the benefits to, to a teacher. Not only do the kids actually have more ownership and see themselves in the space, 
the teachers probably just saved like one to two weeks of decorating time that they didn't have to come in early, which to me is, you know, a pretty awesome win, uh, you know, through this process. And I actually had, and a lot of times, you know, I'll actually make that suggestion to teachers and they're like, oh my God, like, that's, that's mine, you know, and they, you know, we're like, I'm so busy, I'm so busy, but I also don't want to give up certain things. And I think there's, you know, sometimes we create our own problems. And um, I had a teacher just recently uh, tweet me, this is probably in the last, I don't know, maybe like two weeks for sure, because it was, they just started school in September. And they actually took me up on the challenge and they basically were blown away how amazing the room had looked, but, and they basically just started with materials in a classroom, having conversations, talking about the design process. And so not only do you actually create relationships through that entire process, but now you can see that the classroom is more representative of the people that are actually in there. And they said, they're never, they're never going to go back to decorating the room ever again. Like that's not what they're going to do begin the year because they see the, the the valuable time that they have building that relationship. And, you know, thinking about, you know, even early in my career, I would, you know, do some little fun things the first day and about, you know, like talking like an elementary class or middle school class. And then once, you know, spend an hour of that, it's like, let's get into the syllabus, let's get going. Because you're so concerned about the amount of time that you could waste and how you could get through the curriculum. But I'm telling you that if you build that relationship, things go way faster and further through that process. You know, it's easier, you're not chasing, you know, kids that do stuff because there's a, a mutual reciprocated respect uh, in the classroom. And I think that's what a lot of people miss out is they believe if they take that time building the relationship, it's actually going to ensure that they don't get to the curriculum where I'd actually say the opposite. I'd actually say things go faster. Um, when they actually have that relationship, you know, um, when I, when I trust the people I work with, I remember talking to my principal and she didn't know me that well. And she was fantastic. Just absolutely amazing. Just made me feel so valued. And a lot of times she would talk to me and she would say like, she would share an idea and her kind of whole process was to make me feel like some ownership that basically I was going to end up saying what she wanted me to say in the first place. And I would just say to her, Hey, just tell me what you need to do. Like I'll, I'll, I'll happily do this for you. And like, you don't need to waste half an hour having this conversation with me. Tell me what you need. I got you. And I think, I think we start have to, you know, when we build that because she was such a master building relationships, I would have done anything for her. And I think that's something that we, you know, we, we tend to forget, especially as we get into the later months of the school year, how important that relationship is and how it actually accelerates our learning. And if we can jump into the classroom and actually uh, take a look at what teaching and learning, effective teaching and learning should look like, the, the thing that really jumped off the page, and, and I just screamed out loud when I read this, was, was your take on the word data. And I actually, <laughs> te I actually teach a course uh, as a college professor called using data for instructional decision-making and it drives me crazy and your thought process of uh, inserting the word evidence there seems to make mm -hmm. a lot more sense to me. Well, it's interesting because um, I've talked to a lot of people who have read the book and that chapter on learner driven evidence informed is one that really stuck out to them. And it's because um, I started off the chapter saying data driven is the stupidest term in education. And, and, 
I, I make it really clear that I don't believe anyone who says data driven hates children and, you know, is, is there for the wrong things. Or I actually really believe they're there for, you know, the same things that I'm there for. You know, they want to help kids. They want to do whatever they can. But the, the thing that I talk about when we hear the term data driven, um, the intention of when it's said is to help kids. But what is heard by, I would say, the majority of teachers is that all we are about is the mark. That's all we care about. Get the grade. We don't care how we get there. Get the grade. And that's why, you know, I keep, I keep going back to the notion of success is that when we talk about success in schools, it's like, how well did this kid do in this grade level? Or like, and sometimes we don't even do that. We talk about success as a whole, like 95% of our kids, you know, achieve this. My first question is what about the other 5%? Like what success have they, you know, um, you know, had in this process? And so when we talk about the idea of learner-driven evidence-informed, it's not saying data is not important, but the, the reason that we talk about learner driven is that the idea that we focus on knowing the kid in front of us, knowing who they are, what their passions are, how do we tap into them? And I actually share um, five questions you can ask uh, your students, you know, before the start of the school year. And it's kind of like basically creating a, a learner profile through this process. Because if you know the kids, and I say this all the time, is that the best research any educator can do is know the kids who are in front of you. And I think that's really important. But the reason I use the term evidence instead of data is because, again, I, I actually bring out the definition about data. Even though data is so much, in, in definition, is so much more than simply, um, you know, quantitative numbers. You know, like it's not what what teachers often hear it's letters and numbers and so when you think of the term evidence it can be test scores it can be you know uh, assignments whatever but it's interactions in the hallway it's the conversations we have with our students it's the extracurricular activities because when we look at the when we say the term evidence more people see it as much more holistic so that's what we talk about learner driven knowing the kids in front of you evidence informed and how do we use that evidence to ensure that we are tapping into the skills and talents and passions of our students while developing them and to helping them grow. And I think that that's why I think that really reminds people why I, I, I didn't become an educator because I wanted to get kids to get high test scores. I wanted to make an impact on kids. And some of the kids I know that I made the biggest impact on didn't really do well in school. And I, I say this all the time is that some of your smartest kids students in your school are terrible academically and we have to help them figure out what those their talents are. And I think one of the magic words that you just said there was passion. And that's a, that's mm -hmm. a word that shows up a lot in the book, actually both books and mm -hmm. uh, to get, you know, to find a way to get kids excited about learning and being in the classroom. You even gave an example of a, I think it was in a, a St. Louis area school district where they did a student PD yeah. day just yeah. to get kids fired up about their own learning. Can you talk about that a little yeah, I think that's uh, Aaron, Dr. Aaron Lawson um, started this idea. Basically, she asked the, she asked students like what like what is something you want to learn? And it didn't have to do anything with school. It could be like you know they want to become a YouTuber, they want to become a chef, whatever. And so her process is basically she would have these like PD days where students could come like to like a conference, but they would hold it in the schools and a lot of the teachers would actually or the students would actually lead sessions. 
um, and teach these different elements. And I think, I think that's a really powerful way to actually, you know, tap in and bring out the talents of the kids, but really think about how, how we learn. I think the, the reason, I think the reason that we talk about passion is, and this is the, the whole concept of innovating inside the box is that I can't necessarily have kids come to school and say, Hey, let's forget the English curriculum and let's just, what do you want to learn? It's, it's not as simple as that. Right. Cause I, I, I am, I, I don't necessarily agree, but I, I realized the constraint that a lot of educators and a lot of people that are outside of education are like, oh, don't worry about the curriculum, don't worry about this, but then you lose your job and it's not realistic, right? And so for me, when I talk about passion, so if you knew as a student, and I ask this, I ask this to people all the time and I find it fascinating because um, the answers always vary, but most people my age, they had to read Great Gatsby in high school. And I always ask, like, was the Great Gatsby actually in the curriculum? Was that actually in the curriculum? Or did we teach the Great Gatsby because the teacher loved the Great Gatsby and we already had 150 copies. And so it was just an easy thing to do with our students every single year because we already owned, you know, the, the resources. And so for me, if I come in your classroom and you know I'm really passionate about basketball and and maybe, you know, could you have got me to read the Jordan rules, which I would have loved to read in school, um, and actually do the things that you're expected from the curriculum. And, and, and this is really important, is that I actually, to this day, hate fiction. I, I hate this because I was, I was forced to read books I despise in school, and it's really been hard for me to, like, you know, sit down and read a book. I've tried, but I just still can't get into it. But if I would have actually had some ownership and if, you know, if the teachers would have, you know, known how much I was interested in the sport or whatever, and they actually tapped into that, maybe I would have been more interested in reading The Great Gatsby. Maybe I wouldn't have been so terrified of it. But I was, like a lot of kids my age, I was punished for reading magazines because I was really into Sports Illustrated and that's not real reading. And and now a lot of people go away from that. You know, they, they say basically anything that a kid wants to read is beneficial, whether it's a magazine, a blog post, a graphic novel. And you're, you're seeing this with a lot of educators um, shifting way, and not entirely, but just kind of the, the, the big idea. They, they, they're seeing that if you use like leveled readers with kids, a kid will read at a much higher level if they're actually interested in the content. And I think that's, that's what we're trying to tap into is that we understand we have to teach the curriculum, but there's some artistry in that process. And like I said, knowing the kids in front of you and maybe tapping their passions to bring that out actually can bring that curriculum to life. I think that's, that's why we talk about passion, why that's so important. The name of the book again is Innovate Inside the Box, Empowering Learners Through UDL and the Innovator's Mindset with uh, Katie Novak. Uh, you can find the website at InnovateInsideTheBox.com. You want to follow George on Twitter at G Kuros. And he has an amazing blog. You certainly want to check that out at GeorgeKuros.ca there in Canada. So, George, I don't want to give too much away from the book because we want <laughs> folks to go out and buy it. But uh, probably the last area that I want to want to hit with you is you, you talk a lot about uh, value of becoming a master learner. And <laughs> when you were a principal yourself and you were looking – at prospective teachers to enter your classroom, you always were looking for the sponge factor. Can you talk yeah. about that and why that was so important? 
Yeah, so I, I kind of give this um, scenario that if I have a teacher who believes they are absolutely incredible and they don't need to learn anything else because, you know, they've been doing this for a while, they know what they're doing, that's always a, that's always a red flag for me. Whereas if I have someone who maybe, to be honest with you, isn't as skilled, but is willing to grow, is willing to learn, is willing to take feedback and implement it, that to me, that teacher will eventually surpass the other one. Now, if I can take a teacher who is amazing already and has a willingness to learn, then I'm gonna take that person obviously right away. And you know, some of my outside experience, and this is one of the characteristics I talk about being observant, is connecting ideas from outside sources and bring them into to teaching. Um, I used to ref basketball for years. It was something that I was really passionate about, something that you know I was doing at a very high level. And one of the things that, and a lot of people don't have no clue about this with refereeing unless you actually do it. Um, so like I ref, I ref basketball and when you get to a certain level, what happens is they, they, they watch you the first half. They have evaluators sitting in the stands. No one knows who they are. No one knows where they are. And people will actually watch the, those evaluators will actually watch the referees. And so you go in at halftime and I'll tell you, there is no sugarcoating of feedback because you have about 10 minutes of time. So they're not gonna like work around it. They're gonna say, this didn't work, I didn't like this, I don't like this, I don't like this, try this, try this, try this. And the referees that were the most successful were the ones who implemented some of those things that they got feedback from, you know, uh, from the evaluators immediately into the second half, where, you know, a lot of people that didn't do well, you know, would have to take their time and, you know, they would wait a few months before they'd actually do this. And a lot of times when we wait to implement, you know, new ideas, we actually don't do it. And that was something that I actually learned from that process that was really, really valuable to me is that, and, I, and I'm not saying, by the way, that the evaluator was always right. And the feedback that they gave me was always beneficial. But even being open to the process and open to the learning and open to the implementation, because a lot of times in education, we like to sit on things. And like I said earlier, we sit on things, but never actually end up doing them. I'm looking for people who are willing to take feedback, try new things, because this is so important. It's like, I, I can't, there's no place in ed, outside of education where I can see this as being as important, is the idea is that this is exactly what their job is with students, is that you have, this is their job, is to actually give feedback to students to help you know guide them to help them grow to develop and the expectation is that the students not only listen to the feedback but they implement it and so when we work you know in a profession but we're not willing to do what we're what we're expected to do with our students and i think you know we have a massive issue and so even the questions i'd ask you know like trying to even even the process of when i used to do interviews with people i'd actually you know they were not just Q&A, they were conversational, and I would sometimes offer feedback and I would see the reaction to it. Like, is this something they were willing to, to try? Are they, are they willing to go back and forth? And I think what's really beneficial is that when we have that mentor relationship where we try to help people grow, if you are open to it, the real benefit is that 
it's not just the person being mentored who will grow through the process. It's the person who's, who's mentoring because you learn a lot from the conversation. You get feedback uh, your way as well. And so something to me that's really important and kind of the premise of, you know, all of the work that I do with the innovators mindset and innovate inside the box is, you know, th this is what I know at this time, but you know, things can change. I might, you know, I'll shift my thinking and, you know, I, I even talk about this in the book that if you're not a little bit ashamed of, you know, your teaching when you first started and you're 10 years in the profession, you're probably not that good right now because we should be growing. We should be developing. We should be looking back and saying, I can't believe I did that, but I'm so glad I did this. Like there's, there's things I talk about today that I'm really curious 10, 15 years from now, maybe I'll think totally different. I hope I will actually. Yeah, you have you have done a wonderful job influencing so many people, and I'm in that group as well. I don't think I've ever given a presentation in which I haven't referenced something you've said. I use your your famous quote all the time: "Make the positive so loud that the yeah. negative becomes almost impossible to hear." Yeah. And so, thank you for all that you do. And just to give you a closing thought as we wrap up this conversation. Um, I know you want this to be more than just a book that people read and then put it back on the shelf. What can people reading this book do? How, how can they connect with other people with, with the same mindset uh, as you and others that are reading the book? Well, I think that for me, the books that I write are not meant to be endpoints. They're meant to be conversations, right? And that's why I write in the style that I do. Like, And Greg, I appreciate you reading it. You know it's not a very... Um, it's not a very academic read for lack of a better term. It's not, you know, super dry. Like it's got research backing up what I'm saying, but it's not like overdone, but it's meant to be conversational. And so my hope is that people that are reading the book are reaching out and sharing some ideas. We have a, and I know you just joined it. We have a, like a Facebook group right now who's reading the book, sharing some ideas. And what I'm really trying to do with the group and what I'm really trying to do this is that, yeah, we know there's problems in education. We know there's problems in the world, but those problems that get solved by constantly talking about the problem. They, they get solved by finding solutions. And that's what we're really trying to do. But I, I, Katie and I really try to give up people ideas of things that we, that they can do in their classroom that can implement immediately. But we say straight out, like nothing we're sharing can be carbon copied and implemented because you know, immediately, in the exact same way we present it because we don't know your community. You do that. You know your community. And so these are ideas or they're kind of a starting point, but modify, remix, think differently. And if you come up with something different, share it back with us because we'd love to learn from you too. And, and I think that's, that's part of what I've, I'm really proud of in my work is that um, I, I am a learner. I'm a, and that's, that's how I always see myself. And I, what I've appreciated about the innovators mindset and it's the box already is I've learned a ton from the people who are reading it, sharing ideas right back with me. So I think that I, that's the hope for, for all of this work. Well, kudos to you and Katie for a job well done. It was a fantastic book. Thank you. And folks, you certainly want to check out the, uh, the website, innovateinsidethebox.com. You'll find some amazing templates that can be used not only with your school, faculty and staff, but with your school administration, even community members. So uh, pull everyone together and let's try to do what we can to create better schools for kids. So George, thanks for your time. And where are you okay. off to next? I'm headed to Texas and I'm on the road for about five weeks, um, just different places. And it's always a pleasure. It's hard to be away from home, but uh, it's always a pleasure to connect with educators all over North America. Well, safe travels, my friend. And thanks for being here. Thanks, Greg. All right.
that's it. That's a wrap for this show. Again, big thanks to George Kuros for being here. And as always, folks, do what you can in your school and community to create better schools for kids.